Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Hour number two. Pete Callender here, and uh, thanks a lot for hanging out. Uh, appreciate it. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, the email is Pete at the Pete Callender Show.com. And, uh, yes, correct. Yes, William, that is what they said. Um, the surgeons don't do that. Sorry, I'm just responding to an email here. To Pete at the Pete Callender Show.com. Uh, regarding a quote from the last hour, uh, reading through the piece that's at the Free Press, the website is thefp.com. It's uh, written by a former case manager uh, who took intake for uh, a transgender children's hospital uh, in St. Louis and uh, talked about, you know, what are these, uh, the detransitioners. And this girl had come back and she wanted them, she wanted the top surgery reversed. And... The surgeons, they, they, they wouldn't do it. So I'm sure somebody can try to do a reconstruction of some kind on that, but, like, that's um, – they apparently did not offer it. Um, Vanderbilt, yes. Thank you, Scott. It was the Vanderbilt uh, uh, Hospital in Tennessee, and they were the ones that had that undercover video leaked where they were talking about how much money they make off of transgender treatments and such. And it's just like a cash cow for them, and then the patients keep coming back because they got lifelong connections to the to the uh, to the center. Like they have to keep coming back to get their hormones, to get like it's, it's a constant revenue stream. It's like a almost pure profit. That's what she said. Um, and then Joseph says, without looking, I can almost guarantee that the overwhelming majority of these young girls are white, and that is true. How much of this transgender pandemic is fueled by ordinary white females trying to escape the scrutiny or the anti-white culture and achieve some sort of uh, victim status? Um, There's there's some of that going on here. I have no doubt. Um, You know, if you but the, the 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 thing with young girls going through puberty is there's there's a lot of self hatred of the body at that age for girls. And boys, too. But that, I mean, a, a lot of this is like you're trying to sort this all through and girls go through these changes and then they start hating their body. And then, you you know, there's also a connection here to like the uh, the porn industry, as in what is like when people start searching that stuff out and the stuff that they find online can be terrifying when you have no idea and you come across what some of these things uh, show these kids like that's I don't want that doesn't look fun at all. So. Yeah, like I'm describing stuff that was said to me in those uh, in those tweets by that ACLU lobbyist uh, just this week. Um, <laughs> yeah, some of that stuff. Anyway, um, all right, let me go over here, though. It's related. The Board of Trustees at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, uh, the People's Republic of Chapel Hill, is causing a major shakeup in its curriculum and degree offerings, generating concerns from the faculty. The Board of Trustees voted on January 26th to develop a, quote, school of civil, uh, sorry, a school of civic life and leadership. I mean, not the whole school, not like the whole campus is going to be about civic life and leadership. This is like, it's like, like the school of hard knocks, for example. You know, every, every college has one of those. Liberal arts school uh, or the school of. 
what was it, the poverty center thing? No, they like different schools inside of the university. Okay, so this, they're going to create this school of civic life and leadership, and they say this will fulfill the school's mission of promoting democracy and serving to benefit society. Oh, wait, what was I supposed to say? All right, not democracy. It's promoting the big game. Right, because de- right, yeah, because democracy is, I think, a trademark term now by the left, and so anytime you say it, you're gonna have to pay them, and I don't want to pay them, so I'm just gonna say the big game. Although I did get a recommendation the other day, because that's already taken and associated with the Super Bowl, so maybe we go with the big D. But that's like the big D shield, you know, the shield is shaped like a D. You hold it up in front of, you know, any kind of negative news story or allegation, and the big Democrat shield, it, the big D shield, it protects you from all of those types of things, um, as well as the pouncing and the seizing that the Republicans are always doing. It'll protect you from that, too. Uh, so to achieve these goals, the board stipulates that the school must have at least 20 new faculty members and can either be absorbed into a current school within the university or it may even justify the creation of an entirely new school within the university. And within hours of the Board of Trustees vote, The board chair, David Boliak, and vice chair, John Pryor, provided comment to the Wall Street Journal about the vote. And so then that got the blue and on faculty members and pundits to then all agree, a consensus, if you will, that the move was political, not educational. See, it's always political. So even if you created a school of civic life and leadership and you appointed, I don't know, I'm trying to think of somebody who's not called a, a rhino or <laughs> anymore. It's, the battle lines have become so, so cloudy. Um, that's like saying, okay, well, we're going to make this uh, you, oh, have Chris Rufo. We're going to bring in Christopher Rufo, and we're going to have him run this school now. And he's going to hire only conservatives, right? But even if that was the case, isn't that what you guys are doing now, Right. The move was political, not educational. The vice chair of the board prior stated that the school will hire faculty, quote, across the ideological spectrum, said, I don't want to indoctrinate on the right any more than I want to indoctrinate on the left. The ultimate objective is to remove the political constraints on what can be taught in university classes. I find this funny that there is this reaction from the from the faculty at the mere creation of a school with the leadership saying they don't want to promote or indoctrinate any political ideology. And that has prompted the backlash because you're against indoctrination or you're just against that other indoctrination that you don't agree with. Is that the deal? And then there's this, a headline at the New York post a couple days ago, native American novelist, praised by Good Morning America and the New York Times, is accused of being a pretendian. Have you ever heard of this term before? I had not. A pretendian. It's the ones that come before tendians, the pretendians. That's not true. No. It tells the story of Erica Wirth, an English professor at Western Illinois' University, whose claims to Native American ancestry have been meticulously debunked by activists and researchers, even as the scholar maintains her claims. 
Does it sound familiar? It's not. This is not Elizabeth Warren. It's just like an identical career path is all, except well, except minus the Senate run and the failed presidential bid. So Erica Worth has lectured widely and has mined Native American traditions and folktales in her seven books, including most recently a book called White Horse, which was a book of the month club pick in November and featured on a list of Good Housekeeping's best books by Native writers. There is a website. (laughs) I was not aware of this either. It's called Ancestor Stealing, where you can go onto this website and you can steal people's ancestors. No, I'm kidding. That's not that's not at all the case. It's ancestor stealing. It researches it researches and it outs alleged fake Indians, Native Americans, indigenous people. So it outs you. So just a heads up. If you've been using Oh, I have Native American heritage. If you've been using that in your bio anywhere and you come across this organization's radar, like they will out you. Yeah, like a like a teacher under the parents' bill of rights. To, they're gonna out you. They and um, they've already done it. They've got a whole list of people there, and uh, the website says it's all about the money. Worth has profited greatly from claiming this native background. Well, think about it. Think about it. Right? She gets she writes a book, and she gets put onto this this list, this featured list in Good Housekeeping's best book list of. Or a list of best books by Native writers. She doesn't make that list if she's not a Native writer. Right? Yeah. And so if she's not a Native writer, then she's got to make another list, which would be the list of white writers. I'm kidding. They don't even have that list. So she would just be sort of in gen pop. Right? She's just going to be in the general population, just competing with just everybody, men and women. Maybe she could make a female writer list or something. Do they do that? Do they do a female writer list, or is that transphobic? Do they do male-female best authors? I don't know. I was just thinking like award shows for some reason. You know, they go, they went back to calling everybody actors, got rid of the actress category, or, or, or name that word, no more. You don't say that anymore. They're all just actors now. But you notice, they never did that with authors. You were always just an author. No matter your... your gender, no matter your age or race or ethnicity, everybody's just an author, right? Hmm. They never did the authorette. I wonder why. Or authoress. Authoress? Maybe they did in some... Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm down a rabbit hole. I apologize. It's been a long week. Um, running on fumes. Anyway, Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren was ahead of her time when she wrongly claimed to be Native American to get ahead at Harvard University in the 90s. A string of white scholars in the last several years have all done the same at their respective universities. Now, there are men in the mix here, but there are like the overwhelming number of these liars are women. Why is that? Your guide through the crazy. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Hang on a second. Did have a message. It's a very kind message, so I like to read those on air the best. Uh, Ken says, Pete, thanks for doing what you are doing. Your humor and program content is spot on, in my opinion. The Twitter slash Rockford files and your... Yeah. 
Yeah, what about it? Mm-hmm. Right, he says it's... Uh... Oh, and my quick wit is much appreciated. Okay. All right, thank you. Okay. Stop. Okay, thank you. All right. Uh, so it's much appreciated. I do appreciate that. Thank you very much, Ken. And uh, I, I strive every day to come here, you know, with solutions for everybody, for the world. He says also... Uh, Appreciate you being brave enough to be on that ACLU lobbyist's butt like a pocket. <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> you stood up to her, and you were right in doing so. Thanks again for informing and entertaining us. Well, thank you, Ken. I could not do this job, which I love. I could not do it without, well, first getting hired. So thanks to the boss, but also to uh, to you, to the people listening, because without an audience, I don't have this gig. So uh, I I try to I, I try to do all of this so you know you keep listening, and I, I appreciate that. Um, all right, so this uh, story that I was going over with the Focahontas, uh, this rise in Focahontism, I think is what that's called. It's from the College Fix. It's the one thing, really, that I cannot, that I really can't forgive Donald Trump about is that for all the years that he was going after Senator Elizabeth Warren, and he kept calling her Pocahontas. And that's not the joke, man. That wasn't the joke. Right? The joke was faux, Cahontas. Faux. Because it's fake. I'll never forgive him for that. Anyway. So it turns out Elizabeth Warren was ahead of her time. But even before her time that she was ahead of, there was another person who was ahead of both of their times. But that was before. Anyway, Rachel Dolezal. Remember her? The white woman who said she was black? Actually led a chapter, a state chapter of the NAACP? I think it was in Washington State, which makes sense because all like all the white people in Washington State. I'm not sure they they do they know like they whatever. So like here's a like here is this woman posing as a black person, and then they found everybody found out, and she was like she was run out right. They they fired her from her position. She and she refuses to apologize. I think for anything. She wrote a book. I think at some point. Yeah, Rachel Dolezal. I mean, she was way ahead of us. She was way woke before we even knew what woke meant. So there are guys that do this, but apparently in um, in higher education, it's way more prevalent among women. The trends expand beyond academia and artists to others, but academia appears to be ground zero. It's become so common in recent years that the terms pretendians and Focahontas have now been coined. There's a piece at the Daily Signal written by Douglas Blair. He says, quote, The left constantly claims to advocate for victims, for the downtrodden and the oppressed, but the Focahontas is the inevitable result of myopic focus on victimhood, namely, people who are not victims claiming to be victims to get ahead. Do you see the self-defeating nature of this ideology, right? So if the idea is everybody becomes a victim, then the people who aren't actual victims will try to become victims, and then they will all have the same powers, no? So NPR actually did a report on this, and they, they found that the number of people who identify as Native American on the U.S. Census has soared by 86%. <laughs> 
From 2010 to 2020, I guess, is, so the native populations, they're, they're growing again. They're on, the, they're on the rebound after the white colonists came in and murdered everybody. I guess now their populations are swelling? Come on. No, people are now self-identifying as American Indian. There was a, another study that was conducted uh, that found 34% of white Americans who applied to higher institutions said that they lied about being a racial minority. So one out of three white applicants are lying about their their ethnicity. And of the lies that they tell, 48% say they're Native American. Why? Why ever would they do such a thing? Yeah, the answer is like right in front of them. <laughs> it's right there. What is it? Is it privilege? Is there some sort of benefit? Do you gain something by lying about being part of a certain demographic? One that is very difficult to trace, by the way. You notice that one, too. It's very difficult to determine. Manhattan Institute scholar and best-selling author Heather McDonald, she is not surprised by any of, it, she, uh, any of this. She says students are trying to game a system that they regard as unfair. Right, exactly. They, they see it as unfair. So you get these white kids that are applying to college and they don't look at it as fair. So they're like, well, if it's not fair, I'm going to cheat, too. So I'm just going to lie. McDonald also said that the academic left is simultaneously pushing two different competing ideas here, right? First off, that race, like gender, is a construct. Race is a social construct that there's no biological reality whatsoever to it. That's all it is. It's just a construct. Okay, so set that aside then. If race is, in fact, an artificial category then why not choose your own race? Why not? If it's just a social construct, Rachel Dahl is always correct. The left has never answered this question. Why can't we all be black? Why can't we all be white? Why can't everybody be whatever color we want to be? We just, right? And then, because it's all just a construct, there's no genetic reality to race, right? These two factors, right? A vast racial preference machine that exists in college admissions and the other factor being the insistence that race is a construct these two ideas these two factors make the manipulation of the admission system an inevitability and frankly what mcdonald called it she says fair game right you're, you're offering up chaos you're offering an unfair rigged dare i say it rigged rigged like we've never seen before rigged system do you expect people not to then try to rig it in their favor just ask good questions here news talk 11 10 and 99.3 wbt mm-hmm. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. And the email is Pete at the ThePeteCalendarShoe.com. Uh, we're going to get into this uh, Leandro money uh, issue, school-related funding. But first, let me get a uh, phone call in here. This is Taft. Hello, Taft. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. That is uh, 
It's an interesting name you've got there. Were you named after the president? Uh, yes, sir. Actually, I'm I'm the third, but uh, I was named. My grandfather was named after the president. Yes. Is that right? Do you, so I would imagine, like, it's probably a prerequisite for. It's like part of your family. Like, you got to know everything about President Taft, then. Yeah. Well, kind of. Yes, sir. Uh, I do know that he was the one that invented the seventh inning stretch. If you didn't know that, I did hear that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and but, wasn't uh, he the one that the had to have the mass? Uh, I'm sorry, wasn't he the one that had to have like the massive bathtub or something put into the White House because he was so large? Yeah, I think so. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. I believe so. I believe you're right. All right. So what's up, man? Well, I was. You, you were talking about the the race thing and 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 asking about you know these people identifying differently why not just take race out of it why why have race on applications or anything college applications job applications just just all you put down is male or female Mm -hmm. i mean everybody wants race to be uh, a non-decisionary process that you know it doesn't factor in but yet you have to make sure that you put it on your application right and if i'm i'm I believe if it was, it's like, it's like, who is it? Uh, Morgan Freeman says, we quit talking about it, it go away. Yeah. It, well, you know? and that's, it, well, and there, therein lies part of the problem is you have an entire, you know, industry that, uh, you know, that, that is powered by, yeah. uh, by keeping people separated like this. Uh, and this is, this is the problem that the Supreme Court is wrestling with, with that, uh, the case from Harvard admissions and unc admissions where it's on affirmative action and they're trying to you know these schools are trying to make the argument that you know they they would totally become racist again if they weren't using race which they totally don't use to do admissions like they're trying to have it both ways and and it's it's a silly argument uh but we all know that if they if they went completely race blind right and they did not um, they did not account for race in any of the admissions, then Harvard would be like 99% Asian. That would, that's, right. uh, that's what that yeah, would look like. <laughs> right. And so, so that you're trying to balance, you know, okay, diversity versus merit. And at some point, you know, if you want to have, I, look, I'll tell you this story. I came down from New York to go to college at Winthrop University. And there was a big push at that time in the early nineties to get, Kids from uh, from outside of South Carolina, because Winthrop was kind of known as a suitcase college, and they wanted more kids from outside of the state to come in so they could expose the South Carolina student body to more people from out of state. And you could get you could fish in a bigger pool as well. Right. And so they did a big recruitment effort and they would waive out of state tuition fees for people like me. Uh, and you had to, you know, keep grades. Uh, you know, if you got a certain grade on your SATs or whatever. So they did a recruitment effort. So they valued that diversity. So I was a diverse, uh, diversity admission. Um, so where's that balance? Well, I, I get that, and and you do have to have diversity, but we we need, you know, obviously the race thing is not working. We need to come up with another idea of diversity maybe it is just different states or uh, i don't know i'm i'm just a truck driver yeah no i i agree i don't have an answer for it yeah but i understand and and see obviously that the race thing is not working yeah anything is getting worse and and uh it's not good for anybody yeah now taft i appreciate the call thanks for uh thanks for the chat 
Yes, sir. Thank you. You're I, doing a great job. Appreciate it. Thank you. Stay safe. Stay safe out there. Have a great weekend. Um, I don't know the answer to it either. Um, and that's really hard for me to say because, you know me, I am all about solutions here. Because if you're going to say that there's no value at all to diversity, I don't know if I agree with that. I think there is some value. And I don't just say that because I was a diversity hire and I got an in-state tuition rate at Winthrop. <laughs> uh, but no, that's, you know, should schools be able to look at this stuff? But then if they're looking at it, does that mean they can also then reject people that are, you have higher grades, right? you got higher grades, but but I need a certain number of people from a certain religion or ethnicity or whatever. How far do you go there? Do you start looking into um, into political ideology, right, into politics? And then what happens if you are going to look at that? Oh, here's some people from some red states, and they're all conservative, and we don't have enough of them on campus, so let's get them in here. And then what if they convert to be a liberal? Then we got to kick them out. No. No the, no, the school would just say, mission accomplished. We've converted them. That's all. Speaking of education, state legislative leaders and the state controller are asking the North Carolina Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court, to block the forced money transfer on the Leandro education case, the uh, the Ed funding case. I'm not going to go into all of the details on this, but I try to I try to bring these stories to you because these are long running stories and. Um, Stuff is happening, and then all of a sudden, something big will happen. And so I try to give you updates on the way, so this way you know kind of what it's about, and it doesn't um, it doesn't completely grab you by surprise. But this Leandro school funding case, if you are in any kind of education policy circle in North Carolina and even beyond, but North Carolina, everybody in the ed world knows Leandro. They call it Leandro. There's a big marketing campaign that they're running called Lead with Leandro, all of the the Democrats and media and education activists, they are all uh, lead with Leandro focused and such. So the case started off with a, a poor school district that sued the state. This was 30 or 40 years ago, I think. And they sued saying, you're constitutionally required to you know provide us with, a, with an education and you're not doing it because the education funding formulas for poor counties – they can't generate enough money to you know build schools and they they're uh, to hire teachers to pay them competitive wages and stuff and so they sued and so this but they didn't sue the legislature they sued like the uh, uh, the board of education they sued um, DPI I believe right they, so and then at some point over the course of this long meandering Leandro case you got I mean Charlotte Mecklenburg I think at one point was both a plaintiff and a defendant, okay? Like, that's how crazy it has gotten over the last 40 years. And so what it finally built up to was this Democrat judge who is now deceased. He was from Union County, and he he basically put us on a constitutional crisis path because he said the Constitution says you got to give the education. I deem that the education requires the amount of money that this left-wing think tank that the, the state hired that they all colluded together to hire because they're all like they're all Democrats. They're all the same group, right? They're, they're suing each other. And then they go out and hire a consultant that comes in and says, it's going to cost you know, $8 billion. And so the judge is like, I agree. And t- 
take the money and send it over. And the controller was like, uh, no, that would be illegal. I'm not allowed to transfer money like that. And so it went to the courts. And then the North Carolina Supreme Court, right before the Democrats got voted out, right, they rushed through this Leandro decision and they said, we agree with all the Democrats. You got to move the money. I'm, I'm, yes, I am oversimplifying here. Absolutely. But that's where it stood. And now, of course, Republicans have taken control of the, the Supreme Court. And so now they're going to get another bite at the apple. The Republicans are trying to get another bite at the apple. In separate motions filed this week, controller Nels Roseland and top lawmakers asked the high court to restore a previous order from a North Carolina Court of Appeals decision with a rare writ of prohibition that that court had ruled that the uh, that a trial judge could not force government officials to move money out of the state treasury without permission from the General Assembly. So this is what it's a constitutional crisis because the General Assembly is the body and the courts, the judiciary, that branch of government cannot force the allocation or the appropriation of funds. They can't force that. They can, like, they, they say, like, okay, take this amount of money and fund education. Because what's the limiting principle on that, by the way? It's not, your, it's not in your role of uh, the breakout of the, the roles of government. The state Supreme Court has not yet to address the questions that will affect the controller. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Let's talk to Herb. Hello, Herb. Welcome to the show. Hey, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Very much. whoa, whoa, hang on a second. Whoa, whoa, hang on, hang on, hang on, Herb, 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 Herb. Are you on a speakerphone? Uh, hold on a second. I had it on speaker, yeah. Yeah. I could totally tell. It sounded like you were like inside the space station. Right. I, I am. <laughs> All right. There you go. Now I can hear you better. Okay. What's up? Okay. The last gentleman that called uh, is absolutely correct. This whole designation as race or different races within the human family should be done away with. I wrote my dissertation on that about 20 years ago. And, uh, a lot of people thought, what a novel idea. Well, it's not novel because this whole thing of different races was created as a social construct to promote and justify the system of slavery. And, and then there's a lot of other little code phrases and words uh, to mask the continual use or promoting the idea of different races and, you know, minorities, underserved, uh, marginalized, you know, and, and, and most people don't recognize these. And, and I mean, across the board, I'm not talking about anybody of a particular hue because I've heard people across the spectrum using these, which they should not, because when you use them, you are feeding the monster of perpetual white supremacy since confines of that state. So any and, kind uh, of so any kind of demograph any kind of a demographic descriptor feeds white supremacy. 
does any kind. Oh, no, no, no. If you are making a particular point where you have to use you, then fine. But to say that an individual based upon that cue belong to a different race, that is absolutely incorrect. Because all, doesn't matter what your cue belongs to the original human family. Sure. I, 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 I'm trying to I'm trying to understand the distinction that you're drawing here, because so it, like let's take a concrete example uh, and maybe this will clarify it for me. So can I talk about the election results um, and say white voters went this way, Hispanic voters went this way, black voters went this way, female voters went this way. Can I do that? Can I break down the voter demographics and which way they tend to vote? If. Uh, the person doing the survey asked, you know, by the way, what is your cue? Then that is a valid question. But it doesn't mean the person belongs to any uh, particular race other than human. So you're objecting to the term, you're, you're objecting to the use of the word race? So, if, so, if, in, so instead of saying, okay, well, what hue are you? And then everybody can answer, you have no problem. But if they ask, what race are you? And they give everybody the same potential answers, white, black, Asian, whatever, then you object to that. So it's, it's, about a, it's a vocabulary argument you're making. That's right. Race, as a, uh, other than human, doesn't have a color. No, yeah. Now, you, I want to ask, you know, what's your hue? Well, uh, you could be... Uh, a Swedish person who's gotten uh, a real bit tan out on the beach, and you can say, "Oh, by the way, today I am deep brown." Yeah, no. So the so here's the thing: the human beings have been dividing ourselves, and this is uh, this comes, I mean, from you know a long line of instinct that kind of grows out. I've talked about this before, in, and I've joked about it as well, but. You know the the sort of the evolutionary ideas of of the other, right? They served a purpose because if you didn't recognize this other person, generally it meant if they looked really different than you, they weren't from where you were from, and if and that meant they were the other, they were the unknown. You didn't know that, and generally, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, that meant. They might be there to kill you, right? Take all your food, <laughs> and so, uh, so there's like, I, so there is some sort of evolutionary biology associated with this stuff. But uh, this is also this is also why Jesus came and said, "Hey, you're not different. You are part of the same race. We are all brothers and sisters. Forget about you're from this town or that country, or you look like this or that. We're all we're all the same. That's that's what made his ideas so revolutionary. You know? Yeah. Well, this whole about if you have a particular cue, you're of a different race, all came about after, say, basically 1492 to feed and justify the system of slavery. Before that, as you go back in time, especially, and I'll just use the one area, uh, Europe, there were people of different or darker hues that... uh, uh, actually were uh, emperors of Rome or even uh, 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 all the way up to be Pope. Yeah, well, I got, Herb, I got to run. I appreciate the call. The, um, yeah, and look, the Irish have been enslaved, right? Every, almost every, probably every single uh, ethnicity, creed, uh, race, or hue, whatever you want to call it, everybody has been enslaved at some point, like oh, throughout all history, and they didn't care. 
because humans are terrible. <laughs> they would, yeah, enslave everybody. They're like, oh, you're not from my area. Oh, you're from my area, but I need somebody to do this work. I don't want to do it, so I'm going to enslave you. Like, that was very, very standard for a very long time. All right, I appreciate the call. We're going to get into the Murdoch trial update. Crazy stuff happened today.